WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Out There. My name is Joe McFall. And my name is Raymond Wiley, and we have a very special episode of Out There for you this week. A super special Lost episode. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's right. It's like Bonanza. Yeah, yeah. Except better. <laughs> yeah, definitely better. <laughs> you, but you had to pause. I saw you. You well, paused. Well, I was wondering. You had to think about that I didn't for know a if Bonanza had ever done an, a show about the Golden Dawn before. <laughs> well. <laughs> and if they had, then maybe. I wouldn't necessarily say that our show... Our show in the Golden Dawn, which is what you're about to hear, right. is, would be better than the Bonanza Golden Dawn episode. But I don't think they ever did. We rode off into the Golden Dawn. That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so got an um, extra special occulty show for you this week. Mm-hmm. And like I said, one that we thought was lost. Uh, all of our recording equipment in the studio up here at WOG failed at once last week. CD recorder, digicart, everything. Mm-hmm. All our fail-safes. It was like a horrible, horrible nuclear accident or yeah, something. Yeah, in fact, when, during the live broadcast, the show was delayed because we were trying to scramble around, trying to find a way to record it, and we went on late without thinking that we were going to be recording the show, so we didn't know this was being recorded right. at the last minute. Our crack Republican Guard Ops Department, mm-hmm. they um, were able to procure a tape recorder. Yeah. So um, Old school. Oh, yeah, old really school. old school. It's going to take you back to the 80s. Yep. So, you know, pardon if, if the sound quality is a little lower than usual, it's the tape. Yeah, and just keep in mind that you're lucky to be hearing what right, you're hearing. Right, And, th- yeah, this is some really good stuff today. Um, oh, yeah. Going back over it, I mean, you know, we're recording this after the fact, this intro, but going back over it, you know, from my studies, I think that the philosophies we're talking about are summed up very well yeah. by, um, by our guest today. Yeah. So, this um, is a real treat. Announcements, Joe? Uh, just the usual. If you want to send us an email, outthereradio at gmail.com. Right. You can visit our MySpace page at www.myspace.com slash outthereradio. And also, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be um, doing a new promotions blitz if you will, right? Uh, promotions schlieffen plan, whatever. Keep, keep your ears open for this, right? Yeah, and we need your help. We really do um, with uh, internet promotions, getting us out there on directories, and also we need someone to help us design a website. So if you know anybody that maybe wants to do some like public service, because we are, uh, um, you know, we're a non-commercial non-profit, show, non-profit yeah. show. We don't get paid anything to do this. Yeah. Anybody that you know that could do some web design that would be interested in these kind of topics, you know, send them our way. Let us know or, you know, whatever. And send us feedback. We've really been enjoying your feedback. Yeah, yeah. Please keep it coming. We always like to hear from our listeners. So uh, I guess without further ado, uh, we present the uh, Golden Dawn episode. Enjoy. So uh, today... So today... The Occult. We've, yeah, this is actually one of our first occulty type shows. Yeah, we've uh, we've been kind of conspiracy theory heavy past yeah, couple of weeks, yeah. and a little bit of like science too. Right. We need to get to the other side of the spectrum, 
to the occult. And uh, so we figured we'd pick a topic that would introduce you to a lot of different other occult topics at once. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in future episodes when we do other stuff, you know, you'll be able to you know, kind of know where we're coming from and kind of have a little bit of background. So um, today's episode is going to be about an occult group from the late 19th and early 20th centuries called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, a group of English, I guess, uh, magicians, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term. And um, Joe? And a lot of uh, modern occult practice gets borrows heavily from golden dawn even either directly or indirectly right and you know you would figure you know in things like ceremonial magic that would that would kind of run along the same lines but even things like uh, wicca and neo-paganism mm-hmm. owe a uh, great debt to this group the golden dawn which had many famous members um wb yates the famous poet for mm-hmm. one and uh you know the the infamous alistair crowley mm-hmm. so um who keeps popping up it seems like right as history goes by right. And we're very lucky to have a special guest in the studio today. We've got Mr. Austin Gandy. Say hi, Austin. Austin, come up to the microphone. Say hi. Hello, Joe. Hello, Raymond. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, Austin is an Athens area expert on the occult and um, initiatory orders and the theory of magic. I'd say those are. Your, wouldn't you say those are your main areas? Absolutely. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And. Um, I'm going to say it. Austin's the foremost expert in the Southeast on this stuff. <laughs> I, I believe it's true. Austin's laughing. He but, might not think so. But but it's but true. He's got, a, um, he's got a degree from right here at UGA in uh, philosophy and religion. That's Is that correct? That's and uh, former uh, president of the University of Georgia Pagan Students Association. So uh, a young... Props to the PSA. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, a, um, a young up-and-coming figure in the occult world, if there ever was. So... Anyway, Austin, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, why the Golden Dawn is worth doing it out there. Why, why is it worth us doing the show? What makes it so interesting? All right. Um, well, your introduction covered me pretty well. Um, I've been studying this particular initiatory order for some years. It's very interesting to see the thread that it weaves through the rest of the century, um, the rest of the 20th century, in the magical occult explosions of the 70s and 80s, um, owe a huge debt to the Golden Dawn. Uh, the Golden Dawn itself, um, to truly understand exactly how influential it, it was and still is, you have to understand what its constituent parts were and how it brought those together to form a new a new theory of magic. So Golden Dawn was based on a lot of the more historical uh, occult traditions from 1800s and and before that. Absolutely, right. absolutely. Yeah, some have described it as a synthesis of many traditions. Austin, you 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 prefer the term bottleneck, which I think I think sums it up pretty well. So um, for our listeners who may not be familiar with this group, and you know we've described it as a group of magicians earlier in the episode, tell us. Um, Tell us a little bit about what, like, had you gone to a meeting of this group back in London in the late, you know, 1800s, what you would have, what you would have seen, who you would have seen, what they would have been doing, and what their goals were as a group. A standard meeting is a little hard to describe. Um, what One of the chief aspects of this particular group was a very strict code of secrecy. What's interesting is that it wasn't, it, obviously due to its... Um, 
its popularity for at least uh, a decade, that oath of secrecy wasn't held to very strongly, but um, it was it was flexible enough to allow, um, like you said, uh, very influential figures from the arts and also from respectable professions um, like W.B. Yeats, Arthur Mackin, uh, some of the founding members, Dr. Uh, Westcott and Woodward, one was a coroner, um, and very respectable um, uh, professions were coming together and exploring ancient ideas, ancient uh, schools of thought regarding astrology, regarding tarot, regarding other ancient systems of divination, bringing these all under kind of a overarching, a complex but uh, consistent and comprehensive system of philosophy and magic and attempting to explore the frontiers of human consciousness and to expand their awareness. Would you say to someone who's just interested in sort of more modern like New Age kind of uh, practices or New Age and occult kind of practices that the Golden Dawn is maybe one of the first groups to do this, to th synthesize what came before into a single system? I wouldn't say that they're necessarily the first but they're definitely uh, the most recent and one of the most successful. There are several uh, occurrences throughout history where a author or a group will attempt to bring together the the then ancient and and uh, sometimes varied and disparate traditions of, like we mentioned, astrology and tarot um, or uh, the different uh, ancient texts of magic and to present a theory which uh, reconciles them to each other and brings them together. Uh, Agrippa is a very good example of this. Um, that was in... That was in the mid-1500s. Mid-1500s was the last really big uh, amalgamation of uh, esoteric schools of thought into one very large system, but which attempted to explain them all uh, relative to each other. The Golden Dawn does this by presenting a very basic uh, map of reality uh, uh, along uh, Aristotelian and Hermetic or uh, ancient astrological lines and cramming and some, uh, sometimes cramming but uh, usually uh, altering systems ever so slightly so they fit together um, ancient Hebrew traditions of mysticism and thought um, obviously uh, Hellenistic magic um, the religions of uh, the Egyptians, which were at that time enunciated by E.A. Wallace Budge, um, a questionable archaeologist, but putting all these things together into a system which was consistent throughout. Um, and this all came together in the late 1800s? Mm -hmm. Like from what, like 1890 to 1900? Or? Uh, the precise date of the founding of the Golden Dawn itself uh, was 1887, and the first temple was formed in 1888, the Isis Urania Temple. We can get into that history if you'd like. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. What, I mean, what, how did how did a group like this come about? Was there was there uh, at the time? What was sort of the atmosphere in England at the time that mm -hmm. sort of made something like this emerge? You know, or was it was it sort of because of the cultural or political environment, or what what was going on? Or, or as some groups like this claim, was it just that a small group of people got a certain system handed down to them from generation after generation, and that it had always been this tiny thing? There, there are definitely two ways to approach that. One is from the historical perspective, which definitely this group, there was a, a movement in 
um, the late 19th century, of which perfectly explains why a group like this would come into being. But there's also the mythological aspect, the story of the group itself, which definitely uh, integrates in a, and, and explains it in terms of a, uh, a secret group with a secret message for humanity. Um, what was going on at the, you know, this is the very late Victorian age. You've got a very restrictive um, conservative society in response to a kind of future shock. Mm -hmm. uh, industrialization was at an all-time, you know, upswing. Uh, people were feeling uh, a little shocked and stunned by the uh, urbanization, uh, by the alteration in what had been a relatively static cultural environment in England. Um, this gave rise to things like Freemasonry, which are very conservative uh, social institutions which attempt to maintain a certain balance. And let's not forget Darwin, whose okay. theories come through England in the 19th century and totally wreck a whole class of people's religious views in a lot of ways that they just can't look past it. So there's this whole segment of the society that's left with this kind of like spiritual hole. Absolutely. Know? And I, you know, this plays out in the kind of um, in well, fascism and communism and a lot of the things that happened, especially before the First World War. So there are a lot of people running away from that mm -hmm. as well, I guess. I'm yeah, it's it's a time of, of reason and progress and forward movement and a shying away from superstition. And it's interesting that it creates kind of a backlash and a backswing. Um, there are a variety of groups that arise at this time. For example, the, the spiritist movement, uh, the spiritualists, for example, the Fox sisters were one of the big uh, public or er, publicity uh, stunts, I suppose, of the spiritist movement, um, which was contact contacting the dead through mediums and uh, table tapping, Ouija boards, all of these things start to appear around this time in response to the, I suppose, the draining of culture by this urbanization and technological uh, rampage that was occurring. You think that's, you think that's why it's been sustained for so long, like a, a, the, the modern occult movements have been sustained for so long because we've been going through a period for the last hundred years or more of constant change? I would definitely say that it creates a tendency to look back on theoretical golden ages. Every age has a golden age that it looks back to, but definitely to try to cling to ancient traditions of knowledge which are stable and uh, grounded in, in a, a sort of superstitious yet uh, myst uh, mystical quality mm -hmm. uh, is definitely, it becomes uh, a lifeline for a lot of people. But on the same token, it seems like the golden dawn still takes on that very 19th century idea of progress and evolution even moving forward because I mean from the way you describe it it seems like it's all about spiritual evolution mm. in a lot of ways as much as it is about you know seeing the future or casting a spell on somebody Certainly. Now, now tell me this would, would, would a Golden Dawn member as part of his group working practice would he cast spells well that's that's a that's a tough question to answer let me let me address your first point uh, really briefly because you're right the hermetic order of the golden dawn was a very different um, a very different phenomenon from the spiritualists or even the theosophists I don't know if you guys have gotten into this on a previous show or are going to get around to it but um, there was a, a very interesting um, coexisting group um, founded by Helena Petrova Blavatsky uh, she used a kind of fascination that England was acquiring with uh, yoga and Hindu mysticism, uh, a culture that had been, as it were, dominated and assimilated in certain ways by England. It was glorified and elevated to this, this system of 
of mystical attainment, which I suppose these Victorian English people felt they had somehow lost or been distanced from in their own culture. Uh, the Golden Dawn, however, is a very interesting combination of that theosophical bent and also its other constituent uh, factor, which is Freemasonry itself. There was a group called the Societas Rosicruciana, which was founded to help uh, Freemasons discover uh, the hermetic knowledge to work through their problems in life, um, to investigate into these magical occult secrets of consciousness expansion, uh, psychic powers. So it was a weird combination of a very strong, uh, structured group like Freemasonry, and combining that with this theosophical approach towards enlightenment and the um, the evolution of a human being into a higher state. These things combine to form the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And let's not forget Theosophy's contribution to um, the Golden Dawn as far as it being a co-ed um, fraternity, as it were. Um, because, I mean, as we all know, these the Freemasonic groups that, that the group evolved out of would have been men only. But Theosophy, founded by Blavatsky, you know, a, a mystic, strong female personality herself, uh, he just kind of laid the groundwork. Mm -hmm. So, and there were many famous women in the Golden Dawn. Right? Florence Farr, right, famous actress. Mm -hmm. This is very true. Um, Florence Farr was, in fact, a very big player at the the infamous fall of the Golden Dawn. Uh, much publicized at the time, but largely forgotten. A uh, bit of esoterica. Okay, well, before we get to the end, let's talk a little bit about the beginning. Uh, Westcott, mm. Mathers, and the Cypher documents. Tell us a little bit about how the order was founded. Now, this is this is really the meat of the subject. It's very interesting to trace the origins of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, actually, the theoretical first member of this particular group was, in fact, a woman, uh, Fraulein Anna Springle. We'll explain how she comes into this. Um, the Golden Dawn... Um, as we said, uh, was founded by um, S.L. McGregor Mathers, Dr. William Westcott, and Dr. Woodward. These people were all in the Societas Rosicruciana, which was this group of, as it were, uber uh, Freemasons. These people, um, I believe it was... Uh, Westcott, in fact, uh, no, uh, Woodward was in fact the supreme magus of this uh, Societas Rosicruciana. Uh, Westcott and Mathers were both very high-ranking and active members in this uh, group of Freemasons. And there are several stories as to how they came into possession of these cipher documents, these cipher manuscripts. One states that Westcott found them in his library, just placed there. Um, another says he found them in a bookstall in uh, Farringdon Street. Um, another claims that it was rescued from a Masonic storeroom, the same Masonic storeroom that the, the Societas Rosicruciana had rescued documents from in forming its own rituals. Um, whatever the origin of these software manuscripts, Mathers was enlisted by Westcott and Woodward to help in the deciphering of these. And whatever else they contained, what is certain is at least according to their story, they contained the address of a Rosicrucian adept in Nuremberg named Fraulein Anna Springle, or her, um, her pseudonym in her Rosicrucian order was Sapiens Dominibatur Astris, or SDA. And uh, what allegedly occurred was a lengthy correspondence with this Fraulein Anna Springle, wherein they established a line of communication, expressed their, their desires, and received from this uh, continental Rosicrucian adept a charter to establish an open, semi-public working temple in England. And a year later, in 1888, this was established.
supposedly Fraulein Springel had been in touch with quote-unquote hidden adepts Indeed. or hidden masters. Would you talk a little bit about, you've mentioned the, word, the term Rosicrucian a couple of times, mm -hmm. would you talk a little bit about um, Rosicrucianism and the Rosicrucian myth and how the idea of secret chiefs or hidden masters who communicate to a lower group plays into the Golden Dawn? Um, without getting too in-depth, because this could take hours and hours, of course, um, essential to understanding the Golden Dawn is understanding the idea of an adepthood, a body, an invisible college, as it were, of spiritually evolved human beings operating behind the scenes, guiding the evolution of humankind, releasing information, guiding the cultivation of orders like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, the same kind of uh, belief in a hidden body, a secret group uh, guiding evolution or the course of human history is the same kind of uh, belief which fuels uh, the ideas of Illuminati conspiracies. Um, but what the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn believed was there was a body of uh, continental adepts who did not identify themselves fully. Uh, one of the interesting sidebar stories, which uh, the infamous Aleister Crowley and Israel Regardi will mention these names later, I hope, um, both corroborate having heard, um, was that this continental group of adepts, uh, their sole and chief uh, vow was to never interfere in another adept's business. And it was viewed that this uh, Frater S or Soror SDA, this Anna Springle, her personal project was to establish an open temple, a visible college, as it were, of these invisible hidden masters. After her death, it is believed that the rest of the adepts on uh, the continent believed that her scheme was uh, ill-conceived and refused to communicate further with McGregor Mathers, Westcott, Woodward, and expressed instead that they had established, they had enough knowledge at their disposal to establish a magical link, some kind of psychic connection with the secret chiefs, these invisible sometimes described as incorporeal beings who could communicate hidden information to the masters of these orders. I had read uh, that in the early 1900s, the Golden Dawn started to splinter. And, all, and many of these splinter groups uh, claimed to be in communication with sort of their own secret chiefs and placed like the, the knowledge or insight gained from their own secret chiefs above the insight gained from like other splinter groups, secret chiefs. And it was in some ways like ended up becoming like a conflict among secret chiefs who mm -hmm. may or may not have existed. Like what's, what happened? That's the sad punchline mm -hmm. of the Golden Dawn story. The tragic revelation at the end is yes, there, there was, um, due to, um, S.L. McGregor Mathers, uh, rise to a kind of despond, uh, he was, he was a despot. He was an, an autocrat and, uh, demanded personal oaths of loyalty and obedience from all of his members or would summarily expel them or demote them. When he began to, well, a lot of tension began to rise in the ranks of people like um, Florence Farr, um, fueled by uh, such notable personalities as Aleister Crowley. There was a lot of dissension in the ranks. And yes, the groups did splinter into uh, numerous uh, Golden Dawn groups, each of, each of whom dropped the ball, as it were, by, yes, claiming that they had their own uh, higher orders, that they had their own secret chiefs, and revealing that ultimately the, um, there's something called the heresy of separation, uh, 
Um, the idea being that not only are all human beings and all consciousness uh, in, in some way united and one, so too these secret orders of adepts are ultimately the, a part of one invisible college, and there should be no separation between them. All of these groups uh, abandoned that idea and instead created their own individual invisible colleges, uh, utterly defeating the point of this uh, this invisible group of adepts throughout history. Is there a sort of core tradition that remains sort of like the one true Golden Dawn, or like is that is that something that has remained since that time period? Uh, yes, actually. Um, there are a variety of currently existent uh, Golden Dawn schools of thought. Mm -hmm. uh, some have gone in very strange directions, um, at least given their original uh, uh, system. They have ad some have adopted uh, Alistair's, Alistair Crowley's uh, revelations mm -hmm. and uh, become uh, centered around his philosophical framework. Others have preserved, to the best of their ability, the original Golden Dawn uh, curriculum and purpose. What's a little difficult about that is the number of manuscripts, the number of documents that were stolen, misplaced, or destroyed by these later groups. And this is the reason, ultimately, that people like Aleister Crowley and Israel Regardi decided to publish publicly, breaking their oaths of secrecy, the uh, information of the Golden Dawn. So you've mentioned Crowley and Regardi as uh, notable members. We'll get to Crowley in a few minutes, but sp spend a few minutes talking about um, some of the other notable members of the Golden Dime. W.B. Yeats, Arthur Edward White, Dion Fortune, and, um, and Israel Regardi, just to name a few. Okay. Um, some of the, the earlier members, uh, W.B. Yeats, for instance, um, a very famous poet, uh, was very influential in the Golden Dawn's inception, but became even more so later. Uh, his interests were um, largely along the the philosophical lines of the Golden Dawn, but they had he had a particular uh, fascination, as anybody who's read his poetry will realize, with uh, the Celtic mythology and a, a Celtic background, which is largely lacking in the Golden Dawn, which draws much of its inspiration from uh, Hebrew and uh, Egyptian systems and uh, and aesthetic frameworks. So he was pushing for. A, another layer to be added onto the Golden Dawn, which um, reflected a, a Celtic mythology. And he was largely influential in later groups which would form, that would strongly influence people like Gerald Gardner, the founder of modern witchcraft of Wicca. So much for W.B. Yeats. Uh, Dion Fortune, uh, another well-known um, author of Golden Dawn-related material, she, unlike Israel Regardi and unlike Aleister Crowley, kept to her vows of secrecy, but did her best, she believed, to transmit the knowledge which was important and essential that the world possess and that it not be lost between the squabbling and the infighting between these Golden Dawn groups. Um, who else? Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Arthur Edward White? Arthur Edward White, an interesting character. A, um, you will recognize his name from the ubiquitous uh, Ryder White uh, tarot deck, the tarot deck most recognizable to just about anybody. Right, um, if you've ever seen um, Madame Cleo, for mm -hmm. example, she uses that very deck. <laughs> the very one. Um, was, was she a member of the Golden Dawn? Do we know? That, that's a secret. Okay, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
what what is what's interesting about Arthur Edward White was he too, like Dion Fortune, was a big, a big believer in maintaining vows of secrecy. But he was a little more insidious in his publications, in his editing of ancient texts, uh, which were very dry and turgid, and uh, the man was devoid of all wit, uh, in my opinion. Um, but also in his uh, in his tarot deck, he would intentionally place misleading or altered information. He many of the the cards in the tarot deck um, differ from the traditional Golden Dawn correspondences, which were viewed as the correct by the order correspondences of the tarot. And he would intentionally alter these things to maintain his vow of secrecy and, as it were, throw people off. Mm. It's a very confusing uh, move on his part, but a, an interesting one when viewed in, in light of his uh, terrible oath of secrecy. <laughs> Was there anybody else we wanted to talk about before we got to the, the beast himself? No, let's go. Let's, let's talk about... Tell, tell us about um, Alistair Crowley, a little bit about him in case our listeners haven't heard much about him before, and especially his relationship to the Order of the Golden Dawn. All right. Aleister Crowley is a very interesting figure and certainly as influential as the Golden Dawn on the subsequent uh, century in magic. He came into the Golden Dawn in 1898, right before the major splits, um, right in the midst of a very bad publicity um, event for the Golden Dawn, the Horos uh, couple escapade. We probably don't have time to get into that, but it's uh, its its own sort of sordid story. Um, Alistair Crowley comes in in 1898, right before the big splintering between um, Mathers and Florence Farr, the Isis Urania Temple and Mathers, who at that point was in Paris. Alistair Crowley demonstrated incredible potential. He was taking these Masonic initiations once a month. Uh, he shot up through the ranks. Uh, McGregor Mathers took him under his wing. When uh, his character came under attack uh, in the Isis Urania Temple in London because he was uh, prone to uh, certain sordid activities, um, uh, I'm not sure if uh, radio broadcast uh, <laughs> rules will allow us to go into those, um, but uh, he definitely came under a lot of attack in the press and, and from the group that he was involved in, uh, in the Isis Urania Temple, for being uh, a real low-down character. Um, when he went to Paris to study with S.L. McGregor Mathers, Mathers uh, conferred upon him the grades and the initiations that these, the group in London refused to give him, further fueling the fires of dissension and rebellion amidst the ranks. And this is, this is a mere uh, six years before Aleister Crowley uh, receives his divine revelations in Cairo. On his honeymoon, experienced a an interaction with what he claimed was one of these secret chiefs of the universe, uh, <laughs> which transmitted to him three what he called sacred books, the Book of the Law, uh, the Book of Thelema, which contains his philosophy, um, which is summed up in, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Um, and uh, after that point, of course, he goes on to form his own Golden Dawn style orders in the AA and the OTO um, and teach his own brand of this uh, traditional knowledge and um, fusing it all with the system of uh, the elevation of human will, a kind of Nietzschean um, ascendancy of the human spirit. One of his notable quotes is, there is no God but man. That seems to be like a common thread between many of the these traditions that we were talking about in the late 1800s is that they all sort of strive to make mankind better, to evolve. Certainly. And, certainly. and Crowley was no different in terms of what he expected our future to be. Right? Mm -hmm. 
at the time. Anyway. Yeah, he, he called the next step of, uh, he elaborated a great deal on what the next step should be. Um, his personal view may have been slightly different. He called it the, the era. Uh, he, he believed that in 1904 he had inaugurated a new era of humankind. He was the prophet of a new age, which he called the age of Horus, the aeon of Horus. Um, and the, the human being that would arise in this time, he called the crowned and conquering child, a being devoid of the, the traditional um, views of morality and uh, self-limitation, an expansive uh, being. But yes, um, certainly all these groups were, were their, intent, their intent, their goal was to create, um, to speed up, as it were, the natural process of human evolution through uh, mystical rites, through the exposure to mystical knowledge and occult traditions to, as it were, jumpstart the human mind and the human spirit into evolution. It's so interesting to me, as you were saying before, Austin, that you know, the, the parts, part of the reason that these, uh, these groups emerged was as sort of as a response to industrialism. Mm -hmm. I find it so interesting that like that is a wholly new kind of mode of thought, it seems like. I mean, I'm not necessarily familiar with the entirety of, um, you know, Western philosophical traditions, but like, to to make uh, humankind better seems like something new, and by new I mean within the last you know couple hundred years, and that the and that that these groups have have uh, maintained themselves based on not necessarily that being the sole purpose of the groups, but like as as one sort of primary purpose. You know, Joe, I don't think that it's um, it's such a new thing. I think it's something that went out for a long time. I think if you go back to, I guess what you, you know, cliche call ancient pagan times, you'll find the attitudes of much of the population, you know, they believe that humankind can be made better and that progress can occur. But I think, you know, under the, you know, I guess monotheistic Christian paradigm of the last 2,000 years, you know, you can't find perfection here on earth and you can't right. you can't you have to wait you, you can't grow into yeah. it you have to wait and what what a system like this says is no is that you you have to grow yourself yeah. you can't wait you can't turn it over to someone else and would you say that sums it up and definitely um i would i would say that there has been throughout history uh, several i would never say that it has been a predominant uh, thought that humankind can, through personal revelation or experience of divine knowledge or mystery traditions, I don't think it's ever been a, a widespread phenomenon, or it doesn't stay so for long, I should say. But mystery traditions have existed throughout um, human history and beyond uh, recorded history, where human beings attempt to directly experience, uh, to elevate themselves out of a... Um, an imperfect human world and elevate their minds and their consciousness to other realms, maybe you know coexistent with this one, but definitely possessed of a divine uh, order or harmony. Um, and certainly, Raymond makes a good point that that it does seem to uh, be as it were, it smolders during certain times. For example, the, the medieval era saw a very strong um, theocracy, um, and, and that is obviously any, any group which preserves uh, the priest cl uh, class as a, as a social profession is not going to be you know, in support of individual human attainment of that position. And so you, know, you have a, br a brief flourishing of this in the Renaissance, where all these Rosicrucian groups uh, were believed to uh, spin out of you know, a new Neoplatonism, which was resurrecting these ancient ideas of ascendancy, these Gnostic ideas of the human uh, raising himself up through reason and knowledge to attain godlike 
uh, godlike heights, but in not in contrast or in uh, defiance of deity, but in uh, participation with it. That was what we were supposed to do. And this is a, a new manifestation of that um, in just the last century. Very wow, interesting I think stuff. I think that sums it up very pretty well. Stuff. Thank you very much, Austin. Uh, very insightful. Are we um Are we close to being out of time, or what do we got? Five, ten, five minutes. Austin, can you tell us um, just some like books? If our listeners are interested, what they, what can they go check out of the library or go buy at the bookstore? Yeah, g give us some um, some good introductory stuff, and then if you want the meat, where do you go? Hmm. Um, excellent introductory material can be found in any Barnes and Noble, any uh, Books a Million. You can just go to your your local bookstore and find things like uh, by Israel Regardi is an excellent resource for the beginner who's interested in these things. Uh, his book, The Tree of Life, The Middle Pillar, The Garden of Pomegranates, are all excellent introductions into just viewing what this system is about and why it's important. He justifies in The Middle Pillar. Um, the entire system of golden dawn magic and philosophy to modern psychology and attempts to uh, explain why it's important why it's useful mm -hmm. um, additionally uh, you uh, you can look for if you actually want to see the golden dawn system itself you can take a look at uh, the uh, what's actually just called the complete golden dawn by Israel Rigardi where he publishes the entirety of the Golden Dawn's uh, tradition. You know, I was going to ask you about this. Do you, because you had said that Regardi and Crowley both sort of broke their vows of secrecy. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, the Golden Dawn would have had as much influence over this past century if Regardi and Crowley had not broken those vows of secrecy? I mean, is it obviously, you know, a secret society needs to be secret mm -hmm. in order to be a secret be society, obviously. But, like, I mean, in this case, it seems like the Golden Dawn has such such powerful influence over um, occult practices since the the period when it was at its heyday, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, if 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 Crowley and Regardi had not sort of come forth with this stuff, would we still would we still have the kinds of uh, occult practices we find? Um, we, we might have a few of them, but given the direction that these people were taking these splintered Golden Dawn groups mm -hmm. at the end of the, the, the infamous fall of the Golden Dawn, it's very likely that a lot of the knowledge would have been lost. That's, that's the reason that they said, well, these vows are important, but it's justifiable yeah. that we put these out there, that we break our vows and uh, submit this knowledge as a gift to all who would you know, uh, benefit from it, the mm -hmm. actual aspirants who would uh, pursue these mysteries these magical traditions and attempt to elevate themselves without wanting to get involved with as Israel as Israel Regardi puts it um, corrupt occult orders mm -hmm. are there any other any other uh, books or references you might have to offer um, or? New Falcon Press puts out um, what you should know about the Golden Dawn Israel Regardi's uh, uh, once titled my Rosicrucian adventure questionably New Falcon puts out a lot of good books yeah it's uh, it's actually um, uh, if I recall correctly, Chris Hyatt is um, yeah he high has up in there. He's a uh, what ninth degree OTO something like that. Yeah, I know he's written. I know he's written a few books about Crowley for New Falcon, mm -hmm. definitely. So uh, we had a caller a moment ago, and Ooh, they they totally said? brought us back into the coolest thing that we were going to talk about tonight, and that we missed. What, what he was it? asking about WB Yeats and his uh, um, rivalry with Aleister Crowley, mm. two biggest figures in the Golden Dawn, the most memorable people. 
fought horribly. So, Austin, do you want to tell us the story of uh, of WB-8 and Alistair Crowley? Absolutely, absolutely. So, at, at the very end of the uh, the the original one and true Golden Dawn. Um, uh, McGregor Mathers has expelled everybody from the order except himself and theoretically anybody who's still on his side, like Aleister Crowley, who's staying with him in Paris. The group in London, the Isis Urania Temple with Florence Farr, they renamed themselves. They've expelled, uh, <laughs> they've expelled McGregor Mathers and have renamed it the Stella Matutina and have taken over that temple. A meeting is arranged in London between these two warring factions, and McGregor Mathers sends. Alistair Crowley, already a very unpopular figure in London, or at least within this ISIS Urania group. And for some absolutely inscrutable, ineffable reason, Alistair Crowley decides to show up to this meeting as the envoy of McGregor Mathers in full Highland regalia, tartan, uh, kilt, spats, dagger, and a, a heavy black mask. You want to do this? <laughs> sure, sure. All right. We've, been, we've went, been getting ready for this for a long time. Are you guys going to do a skit? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> went a little something like this. William Butler Yates, I have come for the keys to the temple. Is, oh, my God. Is that Aleister Crowley in a Scottish mask and a knife? What is that? It is, and your poetry is horrible. <laughs> Aleister Crowley... I'm calling the cops. <laughs> and that's exactly how it went down. Yeah, you guys are story. dorks. <laughs> <laughs> but it was better when we were practicing. That was a good. That was no, a good, no, that was great. That was a good Crowley yeah, impersonation, yeah, Austin. So, but yeah, it ended up in court. <laughs> yeah. Austin, I, now I wish you would have done this whole episode of Out There in, in, in your the Crowley, Crowley voice. Yeah, in your Crowley voice. <laughs> <laughs> Will you next time? Promise. Absolutely. So, oh, okay. oh no, I, I know exactly how we're going to end this. But before before <laughs> we get to that, um, so yeah, it, it ended up in court. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and years later, it ended up in court. Yeah, there were a variety of uh, very traumatic to the Golden Dawn court cases, which really besmirched its name and gave it a very, very uh, negative uh, view in the in the eyes of the public. Well, cool, cool. Joe, do you have anything else you want to ask Austin? This before? has been a very interesting show. Absolutely, Austin. You're really on par yeah. point today. Will you come friend. back at some point and talk to us about something else or the same thing? Absolutely. Austin, awesome. anytime. Perfect. All right, great. Well, um. So yeah, that's. Uh, that's I guess it's going to wrap it up for yeah. out there today. If you want to send us an email and ask us about uh, the uh, hermetic occult tradition and the Golden Dawn, uh, we'll drop a line to Austin, or maybe I'll even try to answer a question or two myself if I'm qualified. Who knows? <laughs> um, also, uh, check out our MySpace account. Uh, email outthereradio at gmail dot. Yeah, let us know how you feel. Let us know what you want. And um, actually, it looks like some of this may end up on a podcast. We got. We got a we got an old cassette tape recording this <laughs> right, right now. So um, Austin, if you would um, uh, if you would leave us with a traditional um, goodbye from the Crowley types. Love is law, love under will. Uh, Ninety three, brother. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG ninety point five FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.